Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, July 13th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, we had a very interesting episode of This Week on Broadway come out Ooh. on Aren't Sunday. They all very interesting, They Matt? are, but this one really intrigued me, though. This one was Songs We Love from Shows We Don't. <gasps> uh, nice. Which, I had which, this conversation recently with my best yeah, friend. It's like, there's a lot of them. Like, most of them for me are Andrew Lloyd Webber things. Yes. No, uh, that's not true. <laughs> no, it is for me, for sure. <laughs> I like Andrew. I like, I like I know you do. a handful. Like, I, lo- I love Avita. I love Superstar. I like Joseph. Look, but we, all, other- we all have our faults. <laughs> Whatever. Avita's a masterpiece, so stop <laughs> it. Um, but it was a really good one. I mean, they talk everything from, like, Love Never Dies, Andrew Lloyd Webber, to The mm-hmm. Scarlet Pimpernel, which is a show that I saw Ooh. on my first trip to New York, and I still love, even though I was, like, 17 and I didn't know anything. Fair, fair. Um, you know, and then they talk about things like Les Mis is in there, too. And Ooh, who uh, doesn't like Les Mis? Well, uh, Michael mentioned like half the songs from Les Mis that he loves, but apparently he doesn't like the show. So whatever. But then there's actually a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber. There's Love Never Dies. There's Phantom. There's um, uh, Starlight Express. Yeah. Oh, Um, boy. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a bunch of other things in there. There's there's even some Rodgers and Hammerstein, Rodgers and Hart. Um, On the Town is in there, too. So like it's a really, Uh, really interesting uh, list of stuff. So I highly recommend you check out that episode. Into that. They always come up with some really great stuff. Um, I did want to let you know, everybody, that this week we have two interviews coming up in the podcast feed. Um, t- for the first, tomorrow, we're going to be taking tomorrow off and celebrating Bastille Day. Obviously, no, not, yeah. Not really, no. Um, but tomorrow <laughs> in the feed uh, and the normal Today on Broadway uh, spot will be my Tell Me More with Beth Malone who's a part of the Night of a Thousand Judies, which is happening on Tuesday night. And then on Thursday, I have a great interview with Professor Jordan Schuldkraut, who wrote a book called In the Long Run, which is about long-running Broadway plays. Yeah. It's a fascinating book. We had a great conversation and talked about the fact that there's really no such thing as a long-running Broadway show or Broadway play anymore. Mm, yeah. Um, and why that is and what changed over time it was a really great conversation i really really enjoyed it and the book's fantastic so very cool um, yeah so we'll have a couple interviews coming up on tuesday and thursday so keep your eyes on that and your ears apparently um and all if you want to hear those all, interviews all before the body parts all about your tongue too yeah um just don't lick don't the pot filter. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but if you would like to hear those interviews before anybody else, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. All right, Ashley, let's get into the news for today. Last week in an interview with the New York Post, Broadway League president Charlotte St. Martin said that the league's infectious disease expert has approved a new 15-second quick test for actors and crew members to take to determine if they are positive for COVID-19. This is presumably to be done, you know, when they return to work. She also said that the older Broadway houses will uh, receive updates to their HVAC systems before reopening in order to improve air filtration. St. Martin uh, reiterated that they are hoping for a reopening date in the first quarter of 2021. She said, quote, For the first time, we got positive, what I call cautiously optimistic, indications from the medical professionals that we're working with. Now, she did caution that nothing is assured as information in the situation on the ground changes all the time, as we've talked about a lot. But currently, she feels pretty good about that timeline. 
Now, Ashley, James and I last week talked about this restart date of, of Q1 2021. And, and I think the shooting for March, late March, sure. makes sense. Yeah. And from what we know right now, it actually seems fairly appropriate, um, if not even a little cautiously appropriate. But of course, that leads me to get back onto my high horse and ask about what the hell they're doing with the Tony Awards. Well, because, there's that. No ways. I mean, does this continued radio silence from the league and the American Theater Wing mean that they're just going to wait this out and try to combine this partial season? That is absolutely what I am assuming is going to happen which, at this point. Which is just absurd to me. It's, sure, I mean, sure. it's already been four months since performance has shut down. I can't imagine that it would be fair to the shows that opened in fall 2019 to compete against things that open in like June of 2021. Unless they're going to do a full broadcast and still split it up into two parts, like do everything cool. at once, but have here's one season and here's the other. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't know either. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess there is a chance, a very slim one. I would imagine that on Tuesday night when the American theater wing, hosts the Obie Awards mm-hmm. that they could potentially make some announcement like, hey, we're doing a Tony's. <laughs> Very uh, potentially. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not holding my breath for that, but I, who knows? The the wing is getting one awards show out of the way. Hopefully it gets the other one too. And I think, and again, my problem is not uh, that they, whatever decision they make, although I think this would be a bad decision, my problem with it is more than the fact that they have not said anything publicly about it. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Shit or get off the pot right. and make a decision and get it out there because this matters to people. I know it might not matter necessarily in determining when shows come back and you want to sure. have the, the optimal result of this, but this matters to people. And I'm not just talking about workers, but fans as well, but producers and shows. And, and as people start to determine when and how and if they're going to return, knowing if they've won a Tony Award will actually could make a difference. So that's my yep. issue. Um, and I will continue to beat that drum at any point uh, in the future when I possibly can. But we're going to move on to something else. After it was announced last week that outdoor theaters in the UK could reopen this past Saturday, July 11th, Shakespeare's Globe released a statement on Twitter saying that they could not currently reopen until the current restrictions on large gatherings were changed because at present it is not economically viable. They said in their Twitter statement, quote, We're an independent charity with very limited reserves. The government understands our situation, and we are incredibly grateful for their promised investment in our sector, as well as recognition of the contribution theaters and arts make into people's lives. However, we are, of course, looking at other ways to share our beloved spaces, including broadcasting from our playhouses, but cannot open at scale at this time within social distancing guidelines. Mm. Now, actually, I think this is going to be the case for many theaters, be they indoor, outdoor, movie, etc. Um, being able to reopen is one thing. Whether oh, yeah. or not people will be there when you do is another. Oh, yeah. And we've talked about this in terms of so, touring companies and, you know, regional theaters and what that's going to look like, especially if you're demographic of that specific theater, you know, even that specific region. Uh, skews towards an older audience. Like, what is the likelihood that even when the social restrictions are lifted and we can uh, open theaters again, like, what is the likelihood that those houses will be full? And that is a very, very big question outside Mm -hmm. of Broadway. But, you know, New York City is 
definitely improving. Saturday was the first day without any deaths, uh, reported deaths. That's awesome. Um, but again, that still means like looking at Broadway, it's the demographic is, or at least the targeted demographic is certainly of an older, more affluent audience. Are those seats going to be full when this is all over? We don't know. If is that, are seats in any regional theater going to be full for a while? Very most likely not. And that's what I talked about with James last week is like, because you know this, you have to do some things in programming and in terms yes, of yes. promotions to get people there. Uh, again, this is all assuming it's safe. Like I'm not promote, saying that they should do these great things just to right, uh, get people in right. there when it's not safe, but like, you need to find yeah, we're, ta- stars. we're talking best case scenario Correct. as far as everything is safe. Now theater is allowed to open. Now what? Yeah. Get the big A-list theater stars to be there. Figure out ways to make it where it is economically viable that you can do that with big stars and not have that force you to make ticket prices $250. Mm. Find ways to make tickets cheap. Give them back end. Like give them money on the back end if you want. Um, I also think that some of these A-listers might be willing to do it for maybe not scale, but you know, a, a little bit less because they, they know how important it is for Broadway. Mm. But, um, again, I'm not going to ever question somebody's, um, desire to be paid for what oh, they, God, for their no. work. Get the but coin. I think that at, at, you know, at the level of the people I'm talking about, the Hugh Jackmans, the, um, I, don't, I said some of the people last week that I can't think of off the top of my head, but like where they necessarily don't need the money, um, figure out ways to, to take care of the people that are working for scale and take, you know, take as much, as many steps as you can to make sure that you have as many people as possible in the mm-hmm, house. But yeah. anyway, we got off on a tangent that I did not plan to. So let's get back on track. <laughs> it's, we're like in month four of not having any real theater yeah. stuff to talk about. So this is what we tangents. did. Tangents. Yes. Uh, tangents on Broadway. That's our new name of the show. There okay. So moving on to something else. On Friday, Tony winner Tanya Pinkins released an essay on the website Medium entitled why I am fed up with performative activism from white and black theater makers. In the essay, Pinkins expresses why she feels that the theatrical community continually falls short in the quest for racial parity and mutual respect. Citing anecdotes from her own career battling institutional racism in the rehearsal room and beyond, Pinkins makes the case for individual protest, opposing groups and committees, being established to engage change in the entertainment industry, and more. Ashley, she goes hard in this she essay. She does. And, Against and, everybody, too. She yeah, names and, names. Yes. She doesn't pull punches. She names names. She calls out actions that she believes are insensitive, racist, sexist, homophobic, misogynistic. She goes into detail about the now infamous situation that led to her exiting an off-Broadway production of Mother Courage during previews. She said, quote, At Classic Stage Company, Brian Kulik butchered Brecht, lied to me, blamed it on the estate, and allowed rampant misogyny to keep the other two black women in tears whenever I was not at rehearsal. Duncan Sheik, in his white privilege, continued his notorious habit of not showing up to rehearsals to collaborate with brown peers. Sheik merely emails music for actors whose voices he has never heard for scenes he has never witnessed. Nice work if you can get it. And then parenthetically, she says, black composers can't. Mm -hmm. She also discusses experiences with the Todd Haynes play Max and Emma at the Flea Theater, Marie and Rosetta at the Atlantic Theater, and Milk Like Sugar by Kirsten Greenidge. And now, to be noted, those are playwrights 
um, that are both white and black. So like you said, mm-hmm. she goes uh, against everybody yeah. here. And Tanya then talks about some other issues and circumstances and some ideas she has and some not so subtle suggestions for things that should be done when and if theater mm-hmm. returns. But I can't remember why I, we talked about Tanya a week or two ago. But as I said, Tanya Pinkins has been a part of my entertainment consciousness for sure. literally, and I, this is not an exaggeration, for literally probably longer than just about any other theater performer out there uh, because I watched her as a kid on All My Children. So to see her all right. yeah. go into detail about these things with passion and rage and pain about the instances of racism and sexism that she's been through and witnessed is is harrowing. Uh, and actually, I think it's important. And, and I think that this piece is something that all theater lovers and professionals should read. And I will say it right now. If there is some sort of committee created to within the Broadway League or within whatever organization that wants to battle institutional racism and Tanya Pinkins is not invited. I was just about to say, she better be on it. You are doing it She better be the figurehead of nothing else. Because this is who she is. This is not something she's coming to now and has after being silent on for decades. This is is her life. Yeah, Yeah. this is her life and this is her career. And she even talks about that as far as like making those choices and making them every time. Because a lot of the, well, not even a lot of it. First of all, it's a 25 minute read and if you haven't read it yet, you must do so long and very necessary and as i said goes in on everything possible but a good portion of it talks about like the importance of owning your complicity like if your name was attached to a show where Mm -hmm. there was racism sexism misogyny homophobia and abuse that occurred and you said nothing you were complicit is what her words are and owning up to that and making the decisions that at three in the morning, you're not going to ask yourself if you've made the right decision. You know, and you you know it every single time. That has been her career, and that has been all of her work. If there's anybody that's been more vocally supportive, it's been her. Yeah, and uh, like you said, that's really one of the reasons that she said she left Mother Courage. And yeah. she said her, her name was above the title. Her picture was the poster and she left in previews because she couldn't let herself be complicit for what was going right. on in classic stage. Company. Yeah. So, all right. So read that. We highly recommend that, but I would not say it is a feel good recommendation. No, so instead, nor should it be like no. s- sit with it and think about your own actions as you, you know, we've certainly been trying to, I've certainly been trying to do. Yeah, um, absolutely. I was just using that as a transition into the next section. But no, thank no, you no. For, I don't for clarify. We don't do transitions here. <laughs> <laughs> James is the king of, of dad joke transitions, but Ugh, we'll leave those to him. But anyway, true. so I do have two feel-good recommendations for you. Uh, the first one is one that, like, I can't imagine this is the first time it's been out there, but it's the first time that I've seen it. Last week, uh, either Friday or Saturday, I'm not sure when it came out, Leslie Odom Jr., just on his Instagram, dropped a video that maybe it's five years old. I, I don't know, but it's it's um, kind of a short eight-minute film by uh, director Simon Reinert, who going through the opening night of Hamilton from people getting ready at their homes to the what was then the gypsy robe ceremony to curtain calls to the parties. Like, I, again, someone who knows Hamilton better than I do, maybe this is something that came out in 2015. I just haven't seen it. But um, Leslie posted it on the anniversary of the Hamilton opening night. Um, so especially with everything going on with 
the Disney Plus um, release. Definitely yeah, a nice kinda, way to kind of in that. the news again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and to kind of piggyback off of the Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist uh, recap podcast that Jennifer McHugh and I over the weekend, the cast of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist: Jane Levy, Skylar Aston, Alex Newell, uh, Mary Steen, Burgeon, Lauren Graham, Peter Gallagher. Um, as well as some of the creatives, they participated in a Paley front row uh, chat. If you are unfamiliar with the Paley Center, um, they do love the Paley TV- Center. Yeah, the Paley Center is awesome. They do a ton of of like TV TV chats panels. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, panels, and they're normally in person. Not going to happen right now, but they did a a great one. Um, I actually texted it over to Jen, and she said, yeah, I've already watched it. So <laughs> she actually beat me to it. Um, so definitely that. check that out. If you love that show um, uh, and were invested in it as much as Jen and I were, check that out. All right, Ashley, normally we end on the feel-good recommendations, but I do want to make um, a little one final section here. On Saturday, I watched my first play purview, and this one was for The Few, which came from uh, Rattlestick Playwrights Theater. It was written and directed by Samuel D. Hunter and starred Michael Lawrence, Tasha Lawrence, different spellings, and Gideon Glick. Um, and it was great. This is oh, uh, the first first play purview that I've seen. Not the first um, Samuel D. Hunter show. I've seen The Whale before. Mm. Oh, yeah. uh, but it was really good. A three-person show. Um, super interesting. Very unique um, in terms of the story that was being told, which you kind of expect from Samuel D. Hunter. Mm. Um, what's interesting about this is, is that they are actually keeping this up on their website, available for you to purchase tickets through to through the 15th, which is Wednesday. So normally they're just nice. like one and done. Yeah. But if you missed it, you can still purchase tickets to see this. All of the proceeds go to Rattlestick. Um, it was really good. It was really interesting. There's obviously a lot of, um, you know, there's a few technical issues and it doesn't give you sure, clearly sure. the emotional and visual scope that you would have in a production. But what this did, Ashley, is it did two things. One, it made me want to buy the script and read it um, on my own time. But two, also, I really, I've never heard of this show before. And now I really want to see a production. because I've heard really of it, w- but didn't know anything about it. Yeah, so. I think it was Off-Broadway in 2014, I think. Yes. Um, and it was really good. Um, Michael Lawrence and Tasha Lawrence are more of the leads than Gideon was. And they were just uh really really fantastic nice. so i would highly recommend that i've got heroes of the fourth turning coming up this saturday i think yes. you have tickets as well uh, that i don't actually oh, you don't yeah. oh, okay but you've seen it and it stars it. zoe winters a former tell me more guest uh and that and then i've also got tickets to rosa velvis um which is a show from the team um which i've talked about on a tell me more before but it's a uh, it's directed by Rachel Chavkin and written by the team. So uh, where Elvis and Teddy Roosevelt uh, go on. Oh, yeah, that's right. So I've got that one coming up on August 1st. And they're going, they've got another one um, called Knife to the Heart by Stan Zimmerman and Christian McLaughlin coming up as well. And then they're going to be, you know, releasing more events that are coming up. But uh, I really enjoyed it. And and, uh, I recommend people getting in on this as well. All right, so that is all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This is Ashley. All right, we've got 
Tell me more with Beth Malone coming up tomorrow. Woo-hoo. If you want to hear that early, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. Have a wonderful Monday, everybody. And Ashley and I, I think we'll talk to you on Wednesday.